down the far side, got a man open in the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills, what a pair of hands. Lehman showing blitz. There's the blitz. yesterday, man, they're scared. Damn scared. They're scared, and that's not to our advantage. You have to get a scared man, scared team. Super job, you're a champion, undisputed champions. All right, everybody, welcome to the Bud, Barry, Bob, and Beer podcast. I could use a beer right now, actually. Uh, I'm your host, Kamiram Robbie, and joined by my look on Padre, Stephen Brown. Stephen, what is your go-to beer? We never really talked. We haven't really talked about go-to this. Like, beer. Yeah, like let's say you're going to, like it doesn't even matter if it's like a brewery or if it's, like, if you're tailgating or doing whatever, what is your go-to beer? Like what's your go-to? For me, it's Corona. Probably. Really? I can always do a little Corona and Lime. Yeah. But I do have the uh, the new OU beer back there as well. And and that, but, you know let's let's talk about it. How um, is it? And so like, that, can you compare it to something? Here's the thing. So I worked on the project. Now that it's over, I can talk about it. So I worked on the photography end of it. Uh, we got a bunch of these cases back here, which is uh, the box is filled, but the cans are actually a different beer. So mm. uh, I don't know what it tastes like. I know it's kind of like a Coors Light, kind of like okay. uh, a tailgating beer, something fancy, but sure. Brady tried it. He he liked it. Yeah, he said he liked it. Brady Trantham, friend of the pod, friend in general. Um, is it weird that mine, my go-to is always pretty much a Guinness? No, I feel like the people that drink Guinness drink it pretty religiously. Like, I'll have one, yeah. like, once a year on St. Patrick's Day, but I'm not Like, I'm talking, I'm sitting on my back deck at the end of the night, just chilling out, doing my thing. And have like extra stout Guinness just like right next to me, just enjoying like whatever 70 degree weather I can get in. But I don't know. I like Prairie something about too. it. And Vanessa House. Anything in OKC, I'll, I'll drink. Okay. Prairie's good. Vanessa House is great. Um, the pump's a little bit different than it used to be, but still a pretty okay spot, especially down in Midtown. So a lot of stuff, a lot of alcohol. But let's talk about the Sooners. Um, Obviously, it's game week. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go over some recruiting stuff, man. Um, you were unable to be on the podcast on Saturday because of birthday obligations, which we talked about previously in the pod. You had like a million birthdays to go to, so um, I'm sorry. Uh, but I want to also get your take on David Stone's commitment to Oklahoma before we actually get into the whole commentary afterwards. Yeah, it's massive, right? It's, it's the win that Oklahoma fans and Oklahoma as a program has been looking for for, it feels like at least at least three cycles now. But even longer than that, if you just go back through the years, you like decades. You always hear about a defensive lineman that's, you know, it's close to OU, maybe Ohio State's in there, maybe Alabama, and, you know, it just never works out on the end. Yep. Uh, this one, OU obviously had a lot of factors going for him. I uh, grew up in, in the Oklahoma City area, an OU fan. A lot of people around him are OU fans. OU recruited his friend, Jane Jackson. Uh, 
Michael, Michael Patterson uh, McDonald. McDonald, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of ties to Oklahoma that Miami just couldn't reach. Even if they did offer a substantial yeah. NIL offer, which it, yeah. it sounds like I think the offer was the same between OU and, and Miami. So that's a good sign if you're one of those people that are just doom and gloom about OU NIL. They're playing the game. Yeah. So still uh, trying to figure it out if they're rich or poor, Steven. Still trying to figure out if they're rich yeah. or poor. <laughs> They couldn't have come at a better spot because you know next year you're heading into the SEC. You'll have David Stone, which will be pretty raw, but you just need to start stacking those bodies up. And once you get you know yeah. two or three of these guys, you're going to be very competitive in that conference. And that's something that Daryl uh, and Jared talked about on the pod on Saturday. But it's like the David Stone effect. I called it stoned on the podcast. Um, basically, like what is that David Stone effect as far as getting everybody else in the boat because. He's known as Stony, and he is very, very popular among other recruits. And so he will bring guys with him, like including Jaden Jackson, possibly Nigel Smith, who's coming up up September 8th. So that's not that far away. And um, what, what, did, what did you think about Stone's, David Stone's commentary? Not necessarily right after the commitment. He was like, I didn't know if that was going to be what it was going to be until that exact moment. That's not something I necessarily buy because I think – I mean, he's yeah. a teenager. He likes the attention. He likes the drama of it all. I would also probably soak it in too. Uh, but what about the stuff like that came out a little bit afterwards about like his parents and his mom and stuff like that? Do you like what? What do you think about any of that? Are you talking about like what they would have wanted? Yes. Or the thing about the mom, uh, I think it's been well documented by now, but there was a part of her that just kind of wanted David to just not only see the world, but maybe get away from, you know, some of that community, sure. you know, make his own path, that kind of thing. Cause go experience school, other things, you're, right? Right. And have, you know, you go to IMG, you're going to be amongst very successful people in life. So that's just one of those things like, Hey, I want my kid to go to this school because I want them to be successful and I want them to have successful friends to be around. So, Sure. I can see that. And and I don't think she had anything it's Oklahoma or the program. I think if anything, she she liked them. I think it just took some convincing from like the soul mission guys, the coaches, uh just kind of convince them, hey, you know, David's gonna be here. He can do whatever, you know, we'll keep him safe, this kind of stuff. We'll keep on the right path. Um, anything that you know, maybe she saw as a negative early on. I think they did a good job of kind of negating that. And like, I didn't buy him saying that, like, I didn't know what I was going to choose until I picked up the hat. Basically, uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'll make the best of it. Sooner nation, I'm coming home. I was like, what, what did you like? Do you believe that at all? Like that? I don't believe that at all. I think he always wanted to end up at Oklahoma. And I think yeah. during that week, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, in his mind, he's like, I'm going to end up at Oklahoma. But when you're that kind of recruit, there's always like, Hey, my decision is coming up. Am I going to make the right choice? Like, sure. you know, I, I think I'm going to say, Oh, you, but I don't know hundred percent things could change. So I kind of get that, but most of that week, he was probably leaning Oklahoma. I would imagine. And I mean, I think a lot of people would be surprised if he were not to pick Oklahoma in that aspect even though a lot of people have been saying like, we don't know like what is necessarily happening. They just know they haven't heard anything bad. And that was pretty much the, the news stream for the however many weeks. 
And but he's a guy that you acknowledge this. Uh, I acknowledge it on Saturday that you will have to continue to recruit uh, to maintain in that class. And it's important for Oklahoma to get wins this year. And so, like, as you mentioned, uh, soul, uh, a little bit of soul glow, if you will. Um, Dominic McKinley, is he a guy that Oklahoma has increased <laughs> their chances with? Yeah, last week I would have said. You text me about it today. Yeah, I would have said. What was that last night? Something like or that. Or maybe it was, it was last it was night. Yeah, recent. it was last night. It was last night. Yeah, last week it looked like Texas, you know, pretty much has outpaced everybody else. And then the news comes out, you know, was it last night or the night before, uh, the OU and A&M are kind of the the leaders there, and they're just kind of going back and forth as far as who's going to take that lead. Uh, and I'm, I got a tip off from somebody, and they said, uh, you won't believe – you know, what's, what's the difference maker for Oklahoma right now? And I thought, you know, okay, they're moving that when Nary money over, obviously they have yeah. a good relationship with the mother, <clears throat> but it's Jared Sandlin, the recruiting director. And so he's a guy low. that he's, <laughs> he's a guy that uh, you just haven't heard that much about. I mean, he's always tweeting and stuff like that, but you never really in all caps hear him come up in conversations at all. And sure. apparently he has a really good, relationship with the mother as is Todd Bates. There's obviously a faith factor in there as well. Yep. Um, so they can relate on that. But apparently J.R. Samlin is uh along with Todd Bates is kind of pushing this thing along. We'll see and, if it ends up I still think it's gonna be AM. Sure. Uh just because we've seen this episode before, but we'll see. There's one one day left until the decision. So that's still a lot of time for a five star. And I, I still think this is a big factor in Brent Venables like recruiting is they don't just go after the student athlete. They are recruiting the parents the same, if not more than the kid as well to the program, what the program has to offer as um, and as Daryl mentioned, as a source of empowerment and not entitlement to when they actually get to the NFL. Like they're already selling the idea that you're going to get to the NFL. It's just about empowering yourself and not having an entitlement to it. And I like that a lot. And so like with that said, you have Nigel Smith coming on September 8th, right? As far as committing uh, McKinley, obviously very soon. Is there any other news that you think is pertinent and like, maybe like Nigel Smith, like which, way do you think he's leaning i mean like a lot of people would assume oklahoma or say oklahoma yeah. right now but it is there any others nigel Smith would come down between oklahoma and uh ohio state just because he had such a good relationship with ohio state but he did that one seems like it's ou a&m and that's a battle i think ou is very far out on so um i would expect nigel smith to commit to oklahoma we'll see obviously what happens with mckinley if that changes anything on either side of, of the program. So, but as of now, as of, as of uh, Wednesday, August 30th, I think Nigel Smith will end up at Oklahoma. And he's very well-spoken. I, I watched a couple of his, uh, I watched one of his post-game interviews and very well-spoken, very articulate, very obvious. He has a high IQ of not just like football and on stuff on the field, but just like uh, in just in general, um, even post-game, a post-game presser or post-game interview, that you've just gotten done destroying quarterbacks and running backs in the backfield. And now you're going to go over and here, talk like a 4.0 student and be very articulate and meticulous in the way in which you address certain topics. 
which is a just being a good athlete and understanding the scheme well, but also b uh, just having an overall high IQ and smarts to play the game because the smartest players ultimately, like I always say, will find a way to get on the field. That's simply as it is. The smartest players will find a way to impact the game in some way. And so Oklahoma released their depth chart. And you've got players flying on the field, or at least on paper. And so I wanted to head into some possible surprises, disappointments, questions you still had. But what are what, what was your overall just reaction to the depth chart that was released early this week? It just seemed like the it's not really a depth chart as far as like what they're going to play. It's a depth chart just to kind of talk to a few players that are, I think that they really like. Sure. But it's like, hey, you know, you're good, all this, but you still need to, you know, take the extra step to be the starter. You still have to show up every day like you're the starter. You just can't expect too much. So that's kind of why we're seeing Marcus Major, Tawi Walker, who both have pretty good camps over Javante Barnes, who had a pretty good freshman season. Um, that's just those, those kind of things just stuck out to me that I wouldn't really take this depth chart too seriously other than they're trying to talk to a few guys to get them going into the season. And that was the thing that I got from a group text of buddies uh, that were like uh, Marcus major and Tawi Walker at the head of the depth chart. My thought was pretty similar along with that. Right. It's like, well, I mean like, sure. It's on the depth chart. Um, It's guys that'll get snaps maybe to start the game against Arkansas state. But I don't expect those guys to have more snaps by, than the other guys, such as Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk, uh, by SMU or by the third game of the season. I don't expect those guys to have the same amount of snaps. I expect the, the depth chart to obviously change. And so, I mean, how real is that Tommy Walker, Marcus Major stuff? Like, I don't think it's... I'm sure they're going to play. I'm sure they'll play, but how much, you know, especially like the first three games, like the first game is one thing. The first three games, your non-con is a totally different story. Tomorrow or not tomorrow, Saturday, I would expect major to maybe lead in the carries a little bit. Really? I think Toby Walker's going to play as well. Cause they just, they just really like his toughness. He's a dude that's kind of yeah. built like a smaller, like smaller ball ball. run. Yeah. So he's a guy that he can be like a little bruiser for him. Right. But going into the season, I think they'll probably split the carries between like Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk, and Marcus Major. And that's going to look something like 30-20-20 on that one. And then they'll split the rest with like Tawi Walker and, you know, they like uh, Caleb Hicks as well. So I think they'll fill in that extra percentage. Yeah, I think <laughs> this. I think this depth chart was something that was straight out of fall camp. It also was something that you they, that Brent and company were giving to players to maybe give them extra responsibility mm-hmm. in hopes that they might take that responsibility on and embody that and internalize it to perform on the field as such. Like if I'm Marcus Major and I see my name at the top of the depth chart at running back, hopefully that. I can perform at that level. Hopefully that gives me the confidence to perform at that level that my coaches put me at the top of the depth chart. Is that going to be the case? It's a bowl. It's not a bowl game. So probably not. 
And so I expect, like you mentioned, Javante Barnes to really anchor that group, but also along with guys like Sawchuck, uh, guys like Tawi Walker, who they also like, and even Marcus Major too. And like like you mentioned, Caleb Hicks is there. Dalen Smothers is back with the team. And so I think it's a, a work in progress depth chart. I mean, what depth chart isn't, but this feels very who needs to be motivated who performed well in fall camp in particular and who are they trying to send a message to? I didn't, I didn't feel like this is a mid season depth chart and what to expect. And so going on further to that, another glaring thing that you pointed out before the podcast was that cheetah position. There's no, or after Justin Harrington, it's Justin Harrington because in the running backs, it's Marcus major or, Tolly Walker, then it's Javante Barnes or Gavin Sawchuk because Brent said it's good to have two guys that are caliber starting caliber guys that are like 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B. But at Cheetah, it's Justin Harrington alone by himself, Desan McCullough alone by himself, <laughs> second, and then you have Samuel Omosigo or everybody's favorite linebacker slash safety hybrid now, Shane Witter. And so what are your thoughts on the Justin Harrington slash Desan McCullough cheetah position? Because I know a good friend of the pod that often retweets in RDS has mentioned that he's the guy that, that not Harrington McCullough is the guy that may step off the field on passing downs. So do you think that has anything to do with it? Or is this, again, more message sending? What are your thoughts? First and foremost, I think just as far as Justin Harrington, who's a guy that's just had such a troublesome career, showed up on campus with a bad knee, had the knee surgery, was out that entire year, comes back, doesn't really have a spot, and then enters the uh, the transfer portal. And then, you know, after he kind of explores some things, it's like, hey, maybe I should come back to Oklahoma. Sure. But he had to do so as a walk-on. So I think mm-hmm. I think he is back on scholarship. That's what I heard. And do you feel like in like so, in relation to that, and I know you have more to say in relation to you to that, do you think that's that what that's what part of uh Brent's I guess reason for listing him as the starter was because he went through so many hoops and so many like self-confrontations to make it that far to that level. It's just that, that lunch pill mentality. And someone shared a story with me earlier today that Justin Harrington, when he was a walk on was actually doing, he was eating like meal preps or something like that to sell him out of his Mm. dorm room Wow, to pay for college. So he's a guy that's just worked extremely hard to get back to this point. I think the coaching staff does value, but value that to a point. He's also a guy for the cheetah. You want more of like a, a DB. Yo. Justin Harrington came in as a safety slash corner. Yeah, he's supposed McCullough to be a big as a, as athletic dude. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's two different philosophies, whereas Justin Harrington's going to the field for those third and longs and stuff like that. But on obvious running down da- or rushing downs, maybe Desan McCullough hops in. So right. I'm sure they could have put it over there, but just as yeah. far as the Justin Harrington story, I think they just went ahead and gave him the, the start. Because it, I mean, it's just sends a message to the team of like, this is the kind of work ethic we want. That's exactly what I thought. I mean, I was surprised not to see the or next to Harrington's name or Desan McCullough's name, whoever was going to be first, because Harrington obviously has more 
experience in that slot. He, he did it last year. Desan McCullough is still learning that slot. That's something that we also need to mention. That's important to acknowledge. That playbook is thick as hell. Um, and so that, especially that cheetah spot where you have so many duties we between a linebacker and a safety, especially in Brent's scheme, there's a lot going on there. And so Justin Harrington's already a year ahead of the curve and a guy that seems really, really driven. Not that Desan McCullough isn't. Desan McCullough is just now learning all of this. And so the fact that he's just number two right now, but is going to be a guy that's bigger, more athletic, longer as far as his wingspan and on running downs in particular, it kind of makes sense to me uh, for the time being. But do you think it's like seeing? Oh, go ahead. Do you think it's not necessarily a hot take for me to say that McCullough is going to be your starter by midseason or after non-con? I think it'll be situational all the way through the season just because okay. there is some concerns with with mccullough's ability to Pass understand the coverages I, he's, he's yeah. a great athlete i think he can do it but you look at guys last year that were just lost all the time sure. and to mccullough he hasn't had that one year of experience under his belt in the system so i'm not sure they're going to throw him out there too much on obvious passing downs sure that makes sense and so just like looking at the depth chart did you have surprises? I mean, like we talked, we kind of already talked about some of the surprises we had. Did you have like disappointments or questions that you still had? I mean, like I look at the defensive backs. I mean, and it seems pretty, pretty self-explanatory. You got Woody Washington on one side, Gentry Williams on the other, even though there was some smoke that Josiah Wagner was going to maybe get that start on the opposite side. And I'm sure he'll get a lot of playing time. Uh, I expect to him to get a lot of playing time, just same as, Kendall Dolby, Billy Bowman, and Peyton Bowen is going to be a confusing tandem because those guys are going to play a shit ton of snaps both together. Um, and then you have Reggie Pearson. And I thought it was really interesting because w- everybody's been really, really high in Reggie Pearson. Now, you've been really high in Reggie Pearson. I've been really high in Reggie Pearson. Um, but he's been he's given the ore with Reggie Pearson and Key Lawrence. And I know Key hasn't necessarily had the best camp. And then it makes sense that Robert Spears Jennings is that third guy because he was injured for quite for quite a bit of time in the spring and into the summer, if I remember correctly, or into the summer into fall or something like that. Is is it the secondary swimming that is like surprising, or is there any disappointments or anything you thought was interesting that stood out to you? I can understand the or on the on the key lore stuff because just looking or hearing about what he did in camp. He's had some really high highs, but he's had some really low lows. So it's, Peaks and valleys. Like, he can be a very exceptional player in this defense, but at the sure. same time, is he going to lock in? Is he going to do the things he needs to do to be there consistently? Where it's Reggie Pearson, I think he's still a pretty good athlete. Obviously, he's one of the hardest hitters on the team. He caused uh, like three fumbles in a week. <laughs> he almost killed Eric Gray, too. But... Um, mm-hmm. That's true. But it's Reggie Pearson. Does he have the maybe the athletic upside that Key Lawrence mm-hmm. has? I think he might be a step behind there. So I because can see he the played situation. cornerback last year, right? In a pinch, he had to play cornerback a couple times. It's either last year or the year before. It was against it feels Texas like Tech. last year. Dude, I don't know. Maybe last year is totally blocked from my mind, but <laughs> he had to play quarterback in, in a couple of pinches, didn't he? Yeah, someone went down or something like that against Tech, and he had to jump in and cover uh, as a comma. 
because I remember watching that game. I think it was in Austin when I was watching it. So, uh, but another guy that kind of stood off was uh, Samuel Omosigo as the, the third cheetah there with uh, Shane Witter. Yeah. Omosigo is a guy that I think he's tailor-made for that position. He was a linebacker in high school. He's extremely fast, extremely athletic, and he's a guy that will hit hard. So we talk about Justin Harrington being the coverage guy, Sam McCola uh, kind of running, being that run guy. I think Omosigo, a year, two years from now, is going to be the cheat, and he's going to just stay on the field. I think he's that good. So it was, yeah. it's good to see him kind of make that that chart right away. I think almost Sego, like you like you just mentioned, the guy is tough as nails, but athletic, quick twitch, exactly what you want in that cheetah position. And I think he could really excel at it. And I'm really excited for him. I think at times you'll see the secondary be all kinds of mismatched. I think at times you'll see Reggie Pearson slide down to a cheetah spot and then have Key uh, be that starter at that safety spot. I mean, I think there's so many options that you have uh, at, at those positions and in the, sec- in the defensive secondary that you have not seen in so long. Oklahoma has not seen a defense come through Norman especially with this kind of acumen of coaching accolades that I expect them to be like actually pretty productive. I'm not saying like, of course, like a top 15, top 20 defense, but I'm saying a defense that's more formidable than it was last year and a defense capable of winning games, especially if the offense does go three and out uh, more often than you like them to. I think they could still keep you in games as they tried to last year, especially later in the second half, but also, a team that still forces two turnovers a game. That's what they averaged last year, two turnovers a game. And I think they can maybe even average more, which is kind of wild to think about. Do you think, were there any surprises or question marks or disappointments maybe on the offensive side of the ball? The defensive side of the ball seems pretty solid to me, but what are your thoughts? Jaden Gibson being that third guy on the list, I'm I'm sure it doesn't mean too much, but you're hearing about how much he's grown as a person and then you know what he does in practice it's still kind of disappointing to see him behind uh lv buckley shelton uh, sure. another guy I, this even is though my he's personal in prediction dj graham third wide receiver so my my bold prediction for the year is now off the charts or off off the table uh he's, he's on the chart nick anderson, nick anderson know, is my, my sleeper awful. now it's Nick true. Am- a lot of things can happen, face. but man, I, I just want to see DJ Graham do good just because of the story, but sure. we'll see. But and he's an uh, you like Schaefer, see- I thought he would kind of push McCabe Matower a little bit. He never really heard Caleb Schaefer's name come up in uh in fall camp at all. So I think that right guard position, I think that's pretty solid, despite what you wanted. Do you think Jake Taylor is a guy that can challenge one of those guards? Because like kicking out guards to tackles is more difficult than kicking tackles back inside to the guards. Do you do you think there's like a free situation with Jake Taylor? Somewhere maybe? Possibly? No, because I've heard some really good stuff about like like Tyler Guyton, obviously he's a guy that a lot of people expect to land in the NFL right. draft. Yeah. We feel comfortable. I, I feel, we feel comfortable. Yeah, I think he's just a year away. I think he's just a year away. I'm talking about Jake Taylor sliding inside the guard and replacing Matar. I don't see that either because I think they want him to be a tackle. 
Okay. And I, I don't think they would want to kind of mix things up this late into his into the the camp. So they have Caleb Schaefer there. They could also have uh, like Savion Bird switch over, and then they can play like a Walter Rouse, Caden Green on the left side. And I mm-hmm. think that's what they would do. Any chance that Andrew Rame uh, gets replaced as a starter? In your mind? It doesn't sound like it. I thought it would. I thought we'd hear more about Troy Everett, but mm-hmm. it's been pretty quiet in that regard. So, I mean, maybe I that's point, a big positive for Andrew Rame. Like maybe he just stepped up. At, at one point, yeah, we were talking like, uh, is Andrew Rame going to be a part of this program? Now it's he's going to be the center, and hopefully he doesn't get blown up five yards in the backyard uh, backfield <laughs> like Tari Darlington. Just be the smart guy, but you know, we will see. Um, what do you think about I'm, the uh, the tight end room? Hot it's garbage. Worse the, it's worse than. I mean, the wide receiver room. I'm starting to feel more comfortable with. The tight end room is just like shit storm. It, At least bad. with the wide receivers, you could, like, you see, like these names could probably emerge and be a wide receiver. At least, one or wide at least receiver like, two. at least one or two guys, right? Yeah. Like if you lose Austin Stogner, like we know Austin Stogner is, he's not going to be as athletic as Braden Willis, but he's a huge mm-hmm. target, can catch the ball, 50-50 guy. Blake Smith, I would put no faith in Blake Smith, unfortunately. I know he caught the club thing in the spring game. Yeah. But no, yeah, it, it's a joke. It, this tight end room is the biggest joke we've seen in a long time. I think the one thing is like Cade McIntyre. If they can get him ready, mm-hmm. he's a very athletic guy at 6'3", 225. He could maybe work for the tight end room this season. My question, and it's obviously been made present here on the depth chart, Jackson Arnold is QB2. He has packages that he's going to run on the team. Do you think there's a chance, and I want, you, I want to go back to, and not because... It's on Netflix, but Urban Meyer's Florida Gators, um, specifically the Chris Leak era. Chris Leak, it was determined like he couldn't really like gauge the gauge the playbook too well because they didn't know he had like dyslexia, and so they made they tailor made the playbook to his strengths as what he could do as a quarterback. But at the same time, they also turned to Tim Tebow in certain packages throughout the season and expanded those packages along the way to where he became almost like a co-starter. Do you feel like that could be the case for Jackson Arnold or do you feel like Jackson Arnold has the opportunity this year, especially if Gabriel, like, especially if he gets hurt, Jackson Arnold takes full control of the reins. I can see a scenario where they put both of them on the field together. as like a trick play. Yeah. And then they split Dylan Gabriel out as like a wheel route or something, and Dylan just gets absolutely blown up. Jeez. And then that's where Jackson Arnold comes in, and now he's the starter. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. For? I, I can, I can I see think, that. I can see Arnold being a starter in in a capacity. Man, I, like I would see maybe like a red zone thing, just because. Mm-hmm. Jackson Arnold is just a little bit taller. You can see a little bit more in the red zone, and that's where they struggled last year throwing the ball. He's taller. So maybe, he's thicker. He throws guys open. Maybe, but he's also a true freshman. I don't know if you're really going to put true freshmen in those, exactly. those tight scenarios. So, 
It'll be fun to watch, though. I think they'll work him in eventually. Uh, he certainly get gets his four games, and he doesn't redshirt, in your opinion, yeah? I'm going to feel bad if they do the wheel route thing and Gabriel dies, but... Yeah, I mean, like, Buki was laying on the field because he hit a tight end so hard. He got up, He though. knocked himself out, you know? But, I mean, I'm not throwing Jackson Arnold out of the picture as far as a guy that will eventually start for this team in any capacity, if even if Gabriel is healthy. Uh, he's earned his fifth star for a reason. The coaching staff knows that and understands that and has obviously in fall camp seen that. And so I'm not saying like he's going to be the starter, but he's going to make an impact on this team. Would you, is that, is that a fair take? He's going to make it a, a decent oh, yeah. impact on the season. They're going to get him introduced enough where he can go out and, and play next year from the SEC. And like, do you I feel like, like I know feel like uh, Gabriel's going to come back or whatever. He has an extra year, but yeah, it just nah, seems not like come back. This is a year you get Jackson Arnold prime to go into that SEC year. Do you feel comfortable enough with this offensive line to lean on the run game a little bit to help out Gabriel and play action RPOs and same thing with Arnold play action RPOs? It seems like the I most solid so. offensive line they've had to begin the season in a little bit. The thing I like about the offensive line is they have some really good pieces. Like even Andrew Rame, as much as we like to bitch about him, sure. is still a average to above average college football center. Like he's going to yep. do well in most games. Mm-hmm. The thing where I, I wrote about it over on Crimson and Cream Machine is the addition of Savion Bird. And just he brings that nasty that I don't think anybody else brings. Like Caden Tower, an average football player, he's not going to just roll people over. Savion Bird is kind of like that Orlando Brown, Cody Ford, Ben Powers. I'll drive you. Yeah, right he's the probably going to try to hurt you a couple times. And he's probably going to get a flag here or there, but that's what you, you pay for. Yep. So I think he's going to set the tone for like Andrew Rain, Walter Rouse, those guys around him, where this offensive line is going to be a lot better than they were last year. And that doesn't go without saying um, many thanks to Jerry Schmidt, of course. That is it helps too important. when you're not doing Pilates all offseason. My goodness. And so, speaking in continuing on these lists, the OU captains from game one came out because we're about to talk about the game just really briefly. It's Arkansas State. We don't need to say too much, I don't feel like. But captains of this game, Billy Bowman. Yep, that sounds about right. Drake Stoops. Yep, that sounds about right. Danny Stutzman, yep, that sounds about right. Two kind of outliers, it feels like. Justin Harrington, but we just talked about like a lot of things about his, not just his football career, but his life just in general and what he's done to make it to this point. But also McCabe Tower, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. I think a lot of people could kind of understand Harrington, especially knowing like the things he had to do to get back in the good graces of Brent Venables and the team and get back on the team. I think people like that knew that kind of maybe understood that, but McCabe and Tower thing took a lot of people by surprise. But w- what is your opinion on this philosophy of naming captains? Because last year it was, Hey, these are the guys that did the best in practice that were the model OU football citizens, players, etc. They are going to be the captains this week. What's your thought on that practice from Brent? I don't really like it. I get why he does it, but for me, like you want your captains to just be dogs all year. And yep. you don't want to just, it's like, hey, this week I need you to go sit in the back while someone else 
talks to your football team. Because I'm assuming that's what the captains are. Like halftime, they're going to give a speech. They're going to talk guys up in the huddle, that kind of stuff. I just it's just a weird dynamic if you keep rotating people in. And I get that you kind of want to search for your leaders a little bit. You want to give some guys some opportunities to lead. But at the same time, like, you look back at, uh, like, some of the captains. Like, I think about Alabama. Like, Derrick Henry was a captain. I want that mm-hmm. dude at the coin toss every single Saturday because he's intimidating. Uh, you know, Even to your own players, like, yeah, I'm going to follow that guy onto the field. So, for me, it's just like – Who's going to do all the talking? Like, who's going to be that guy that when you show up Saturday, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of scared of that guy. That's, that's their captain. Like, Baker, obviously not a very intimidating guy, but really good shit talker. And he, he backed it up on the field. So, And he, he had confidence that he instilled in his teammates, too. Like, that last drive right. against Tennessee, he's like, hey, you guys are ready to go win the game? And they did. Or at least in overtime, they eventually did. But still, like. Kenneth Murray, massive dude. Good and so I get Bowman because I, 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 I hate that philosophy. I, I, I cannot stand it. I like, I get Bowman makes sense. He deserves to be a captain. He's been there for a while. Stutzman makes total sense. He's the quarterback of that defense and he, he's like lockstep with Brent and, uh, Oh, his, who's the linebacker guy from Clemson Skalski. Um, Drake soups. Yep. Makes sense. But then I look at, okay, Harrington. Okay. I can get it. I can get on board with that for a minute because like everything is done, but I'm looking at why is Woody Washington not on there? I'm looking at Jonah Laulu, who you took to media days. Why is he not there? I'm looking at Dylan Gabriel, who you also took to media days. Why is he not there? And again, coming back to the whole like description of the depth chart, wouldn't you want to put like a guy like Woody on a platform and a guy like Gabriel on a platform like that to give them that opportunity to lead and suggest this is your leader for the year and like we will go by this and hopefully they live up to that expectation that you're giving them their opportunity for expectation you're giving them or like am, am i am i just like going off the wall on this because no, I, I, I just i agree with you but but in a different way i think when you look at dylan gabriel and you look at woody washington they're both the guys that have struggled with consistency okay so now you put them in a leadership spot. Now you put all the eyes on them. It's like, are you going to step up and be the guy that we think you can be? Because we think we can be pretty good, and that's why we're going to put you as a team captain. I mean, like, or who else has somebody else? But who else on this list hasn't struggled with consistency besides Drake Stoops? Bowman struggled with consistency of tackling in the open field. Danny Stutzman yeah. struggled with consistency until late in the season last year. He was terrible. But, I mean, the it's different for Gabriel because he's the quarterback. Sure. So you're expected to. That's the like leader. Expectations the than, than other people on the team. So Woody Washington, I do get the argument. Even like, like Rame, that guy should be a captain. Your center should be the, a captain. But 
even or a left tackle. I get Walter Rousey's new makes sense. I get that him not being a captain Guyton. He's still developing his talent. McKay Matower, older guy respected in the room, brings some of the power and like, again, Schmitty built there. That's going to help him a lot. And so I kind of get that, but it's, it, I just, I really, really hate it because Woody Washington, like for the last however many years, he's been your de facto number one cornerback, but he's had some inconsistency issues, especially last year with all the busts because of Brent's new defense. And again, I just like, I like the idea of giving these guys like the opportunity to be those leaders that you want them to be just like they're showing in the depth chart. But at the same time, if they're not showing out in practice, they're not showing out in practice. So I get like why you would say that because the light's on them. But at the same time, I want that light to be on them because they need to know what it feels like to be in those big situations, especially Dylan Gabriel, who overthrows the damn ball in those big situations on third down. I need him to feel that pressure, which is glad, uh, which is why I'm glad that Jackson Arnold's there. Would it make you feel better if this is only a non-con thing. So like yes. for the first, first three weeks, Hey, we're going to find our guy. Exactly. Conference play starts. Now you name your captains. I think that would be fair. That'd be like a nice mix of let's see who's going to step up. And, and when we put all the lights and the eyes on them, we know we can count on this guy to be our captain. Like, don't get Versus me wrong. Throwing whomever out there. Like, don't get, don't get me wrong. Cause I agree with that. I, and I like that idea. Like, I totally understand the idea behind this. Like the guys that are taking care of business week in and week out, you'll see them consistently be captains, but the guys that like rise to the occasion consistently still in practice that week. And then maybe that next week after as well, they deserve that captain spot as well. And so like, maybe they'll be a captain for a game. I get the whole idea behind it as far as like a point system or if they're, if they have one or a system of just like leadership goals that they want to embody their team. I understand that, but switching captains each, each week, like it, it lacks a, it lacks a certain impetus to serious. I wouldn't say seriousness. It lacks a certain, I guess, point of view and perspective from the players when the shit is possibly about to hit the fan when you are when you were up two scores like they were last season and now suddenly you turn the ball over and you're possibly about to be down one score i want my guys looking at the reliable captains on the team that they knew who are the captains and not just that week's captain because we all know that if it's Justin Harrington, okay, he's he's been through some stuff and all that other good stuff, but everybody's going to be looking at Woody Washington and Billy Bowman that play. Everybody should be looking at those guys for leadership because those are the best players in that secondary, not just the guys that practice the best that week in those two weeks. There's like you couldn't convince me, and I doubt you could convince yourself that Justin Harrington's better at his position than Woody Washington is. Would you agree with that? Or disagree. It's yeah, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. And so, like that—that's—that's that's my take on it. Do you think that's like fair or too much? No, I think it's it fair. Is, I just—it is just non-con. Yeah, because it's non-con. I would just be like, you know what? I have maybe ten guys I think I can count on. 
Let's give everybody a turn to to jump up and be that captain and be that voice throughout these these games that are typically not as difficult as our conference play. And then mm. we go, you know, week of conference play where you either vote on as a team, as a staff, whatever you want to do, you get a little sorting hat like Harry Potter, whatever you want to do. But let's decide it going into conference play. I agree with that. Because you're I right. Because like you don't idea. want if you're going to roll like 16 captains throughout the year, like who are you going to look to? Like everybody's going to look in different directions. Exactly. Like, and you're going to possibly develop factions between your team, despite the whole point being like coming together as an entire team, you want to have guys to look to. And that's something that was a linchpin and a staple in Bob in, in his, in his tenure and even Lincoln Riley. Like they had their captains down. They knew who were the nastiest guys in the team and who to look to for guidance and leadership, despite the fact that like, especially those last years of Lincoln Riley were a little bit weird, but they all looked to Kyler. They all looked to CD. They all looked to Baker. They looked to Orlando. I can't think of any defensive players because the defense was complete <laughs> shit while Lincoln Riley was Kenneth there. Murray was, but, was a captain. But, but besides Kenneth Murray, of course, uh, um, but yeah, Definitely. in Oboe, yeah, that's right. You're you're bringing memories back. That's interesting. But, but still, Sanchez, you know, like you still had guys it. to look to, right? And so going on to this game, because those are the captains for this Arkansas State game, it's in Norman. It is on ESPN after right after college game day, 11 a.m. Who would have guessed? 35 and a half point favorites right now. I checked right before we started podcasting. We should know, we know who wins this game. The real question is, what are you looking for? I think this is an easy one because you're looking at the offensive line and you're like, hey, if you have trouble against these guys, I know it does take some time to gel as a group, but this is obviously not a very talented program in the grand scheme of things. So if you're struggling here, might have some issues. I think, um, and I'm like looking at the opposite side. Yeah, holds true for the opposite side. Now, Arkansas State, I was looking at their roster. They do have a pretty beefy offensive line, but weight doesn't always mean everything, so sure. we'll see. Yeah, but aren't, aren't, realistically, I mean, I'm looking at the trenches. You mentioned offensive line already. I feel comfortable with them, especially against Arkansas State. I think they should do fine. I think they'll rely on the run game quite a bit during uh, non-con. Um, I'm looking for some Gabriel improvement on his footwork. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm looking for it. I'm looking at the defensive line uh, because it's obviously been revamped. I'm curious if they'll cause a little bit of chaos, but I'm also more particularly looking at the thing I've been criticizing this entire off season wide receiver room. Who are the guys that you have? Who are the guys that can get off the line of scrimmage? Who are the guys that can be, uh, you know, basically beat their guy off the line of scrimmage and actually make physical catches? Because uh, sometimes, you know, Jaleel Farouk, like he runs under the radar. That can be a good thing. Could be a bad thing. We don't know. Hasn't really, really been talked about, even though he has been making plays in camp. Nick Anderson's making plays. Andrew Anthony has apparently been making plays and being very vocal as well. Maybe he'll be captain one day too. Who knows? Um, but those are the kinds of things I'm looking for. But in reality, this game is like this team is still kind of in flux. We kind of talked about it with the depth chart. How much like and give me a percentage, right? So like 
how much evaluation do you think is still going on with this team at this exact moment in certain positions? And like, you could say like, you know, like, let's say there's like still like 60% of this team is still being evaluated or 20% of this team. You feel like it's, they're still doing a lot of evaluations against actual live competition instead of, all right, we already know your plays. We already know your formations line up and let's practice. How much of this team do you still think is under evaluation? I'd say like 60, maybe even 70%. Like I think the offensive line is pretty much settled for the most part. Uh, linebackers, I think you have your starting group, but there's still questions about what are you going to do when you need to rotate them out. Sure. Uh, that, that corner opposite of Woody Washington, I don't think that's settled. I know Gentry Williams is the starter, but I still think they want to look at Josiah Wagner and what he does. Obviously, mm-hmm. the wide receivers, everybody's looking at them to see who's going to step up. And then at safety, we pretty much have that down. But then you also have the question of what's Peyton Bone going to look like this year. So, like, if he's the guy that everybody thinks he is, are you going to really play Reggie Pearson or Peyton Bowen? Because I think you'd rather have Reggie Pearson or Key Lawrence or whoever shift down to the like the cheetah or something, or go like a like a Sam linebacker or something like that. So, I would say most of it's under evaluation. Even like Dylan Gabriel. Because there's a lot of question marks about his consistency. Can he stay healthy? Can is he going to step up in the clutch moments? And like if he doesn't, like he has to worry about like who's behind him now, because you don't have Davis Bevel who can't throw like a five yard out. You have Dylan or you have uh, Jackson who's a five star quarter, or General Booty whose only notable thing he's ever done is make underwear. Yep, on a horse so, that was just posted today with Dylan Gabriel. I would say. I would say even up to like 80% of this roster is still kind of shifting around. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I'd say there's only a couple of positions where I would feel comfortable at offensive line being one of them, even like the defensive line being the other one as well. Like they have the majority of it figured out. I mean, Ethan downs, I think his snap count will go, go, will go down as the year progresses, unless he just somehow whipped into shape. If Trace Ford can prove he can stay healthy, I don't, I don't see how he just plays like 30% of the snaps. Right, exactly. So, and, and then you got Abari there as well. So, And, that, that, and that's the thing. That's what, I, that's what I keep on coming to. I'm just like, besides one real defensive end spot on the defensive line, the majority of it is pretty solidified there on both sides of the line, which is like, that's something that you want to hear, is that you feel you feel pretty confident or at least somewhat confident in both sides of the trenches, which will win you games, the games that you probably lost last year. And so I feel very much the same way you do. I like 60 to 80% of this roster, they're still evaluating. And I would not be surprised if Oklahoma walks into Iowa state that fourth game uh, before the Texas game and trots out a lineup that will be the same lineup they see for Texas. And I won't be surprised if you see totally different lineups, the first three games, Arkansas, SMU, Tulsa, uh, as different lineups, wherever, just trying to figure out different things. I think conference play comes and you see different things. And so the goal of this game, other than staying healthy, is there any? Just look the part of a good football team. Yeah. Like if you go up there and there's 
several noticeable struggles. And that's not saying like, oh, first drive, maybe they gave up a touchdown. Sure. Like if it's persistent throughout the entire game, there's some issues. But as long as you look the part, stay healthy, I think that's all you care about in this game. Yeah, you. I mean, it's Arkansas State. This is not the talented Arkansas State team that was putting up a lot of numbers a while back. Uh, this is a team OU should clearly beat up on, as especially as the Vegas odd makers say, 35 and a half. So they're looking at a five touchdown uh, threshold for Oklahoma to win here. And so how do you expect this game to really just play out in general? It's going to be hot as hell. It's me hot. I think uh, you'll probably see some guys cramping, so I'm sure they'll rotate, especially on the defensive line pretty often. So we'll see several different groups of guys where they go 4-3, three, 3-4. Three, um, but I think Oklahoma's going to mostly take care of business. I wouldn't be surprised if they give up a score early on because they do have some good wide receivers. And they have some two cornerbacks that have played a lot of football. So you can see maybe the offense struggling the first two drives or so to get that passing game going. But at the same time, this is a, an offense that's predicated on just kind of running people over and making people play up in the box. And then you take your deep pass. Yeah. So I think if anything, you want to see that offense live up to its reputation. You want to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And when you finally get that defense to push up, let's see if we make a field or a play downfield. Yeah. I'm looking for that. Exactly that. They're going to lean on the run because they should be able to out physical on both sides of the line, Arkansas state. And you're just going to launch rockets from whoever's arm, whether it's Arnold or Gabriel's, depending on the quarter, to Petaway, Gavin Freeman, Angel Anthony, et cetera. Uh, that's, a, that's what I'm looking for. Can they also make those down the field throws as well accurately and not overthrow them? And so I expect it to play out. I mean, if I were to give a score, Oklahoma beats up on them a little bit in the trenches maybe forces like a fumble and possibly lucks into an interception, maybe accidentally, but doesn't force an interception, even though they will likely be disguising some coverages. It's still first games of the season before Iowa state than Texas. I don't assume that they will be very, very uh, multiple. I think they will be very vanilla, especially for these first couple of games, maybe with the exception of SMU, because they still do have some talent on that squad. Uh, I expect OU to beat up on them a little bit, and I don't know if they cover. I'm looking at like 45 to 14, 45 to 10. Uh, I think at least giving Arkansas State two scores feels about right, especially with this defense. Like you mentioned earlier, they've got some pretty decent wide receivers. Oklahoma, not necessarily prone to busts, especially with that defensive line, but they have experienced wide receivers that can challenge defensive backs if they are not in the right spot. And I think that also deserves some recognition from Arkansas state, but I still think probably about 45 to 10 or 49, 14 sounds about right to me. So playing right on the edge of that uh, over under. I'm going to go a little bit higher scoring game. I think Oklahoma is going to score pretty handily, even with, you know, even with the experienced corners, their defensive line is just not that good. So I think, if anything, they're going to just run them over until they can do like a pop pass to Stogner, and maybe they'll take a few shots to Pedaway or Farouk mm-hmm. or Nick Anderson, something like that. So I think offensively, I think they'll get it going. I think they'll feel pretty good, and I think it's going to be something like 62, maybe 59 points, like on offense, 
Defensively, I could see them maybe giving up an early touchdown and a couple field goals. So I'll go 62-13. Wow. I'm writing this down, by the way. That's a post on Twitter so I get grilled for this one. That's a heck of I mean, like, hey, I'm all for it. If Oklahoma outscores their opponent by 49 points. No, 49. Yeah, 49 points. I'm I all just for like it. what they have offensively. It's a bad defensive line. You have several good to great running backs. Like, I don't I don't feel like they're gonna have a problem scoring. And Even they in should. the later downs, like let's say they have Jackson Arnold and they're kind of slowing up on the offense. You still have a good offensive line. Mm-hmm. And you have Gavin Sawchuck or Tawi Walker, Marcus Major still playing. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll be able to put out points no matter what quarter. And they should. They should be able to just because of the talent discrepancy and not just the talent discrepancy, the depth discrepancy, especially you know how hot it is on that day. It's hotter on the field, on, on the pads, and all, all the other stuff. Not that Arkansas State players haven't practiced in the same sort of heat and weather but it's just going to be different because Oklahoma does have that depth that Arkansas State can't rotate in um, as much as Oklahoma can off of course so we've got 49-14 for me 62-13 to from you anything else uh, about Arky State in this game week it is game one football time in Oklahoma man it's exciting it, it feels like this has been like the longest it's only Wednesday so it's like the longest three days ever yeah. I will say, I haven't listened to everybody else's podcast yet, but I want to see if anybody talks about the new turf because they're using that, uh, was it Tahoma 31 right. turf that yep. was used in the Super Bowl? And their whole reasoning was it wasn't cured and all this other stuff, but it's just to be a very resilient turf and it's going to perform well. So I want to see if there's any sort of slipping or if it tears up easy. We'll just, I'm just kind of curious to see what goes on there. So I'm intrigued about it too. Cause like there are different Random types of nerd, turf that really frustrate stuff. players. There's like really, there's different kinds of turf that really frustrate players. I know there's a couple of six, a schools that they uh, don't have the rubber pellets underneath their turf, but instead Ooh. it's like, like these coconut kind of like whatever consistency stuff. And even when it's not, sl- even when it's not raining, it's not slick. Uh, the players will try to cut up field and they'll slip. So when it is raining, everybody's just slipping everywhere, especially if they're trying to cut up field. So I'm very curious to see, like you mentioned, how that new turf turns out, if it affects their way and mobility on the field in any capacity, then you might have people talking about it. But at the same time, like if you're not aware about it, you're simply not aware about it. You're just like wondering what what's happened on that play. It looks good but, though. It feels yeah, no, great. great. Like, so. Looks fantastic. But anything else? Uh, join the Discord. Uh, so far, we have the game thread up. I messed it up earlier this week because I was super busy. I made two game threads on accident. So that was my bad. But we now have the official game thread going into Saturday going. We're talking about recruiting. Dominic McKinley obviously being the headlight there. Nigel Smith later on. Uh, but there's also talk of Grant Bricks and the, and the kid from England. And there's talk. Yep. Of, we're talking about Thunder basketball right now. So. It's a good time. It's free to join. A lot of conversation, a lot of info. Um, there's and maybe some there. future things to do with it, yeah? Yeah, we'll do some live chats and, and stuff like that. Uh, not necessarily a podcast, but we'll do like a live live group voice chat, something like that. So, But the Just Okay guys are in there. Captain 405 sometimes drops in and, and gives a tidbit. So 
it's not just me or Kamiya or just random people talking. There's people around the OU uh, blog verse, I guess, just chiming in. So, and there's a lot of people in there that there's there there are a lot of people in there that are pretty. I don't want to say high up the food chain, but there are a lot of people in there that they just have an alias and they won't reveal that. Okay. And so there's a lot of people in there. (laughs) That's, that's one of them. Um, and so, um, I would, I would echo that join the discord. It's free. A lot of dudes in there just talking about dudes doing stuff, guys doing stuff. I mean, whatever guys being dudes, um, got the game thread going on it's free to join free content talking about like doing some voice channels maybe even some possibly like voice channels after a post game after could you imagine doing a voice channel after a post game loss how chaotic that would be and also maybe how fun that would be uh looking back that would be functional yeah oh goodness but anyways yeah, go. I'll, I'll I'll add the Discord link to the bio of this podcast. And thank you guys for also listening to this podcast. For like Stephen and I have been talking about it. We're like been doing this for like nine years together now, which feels very odd, but also very cool and rewarding at the same time. So thank you guys for listening for that long to us as we've also grown up and matured to adults now, which is a weird thing to say. And um Thanks for everybody's support. It's football time in Oklahoma. It's game week, game week one against Arkansas State. Hope you guys have a great Saturday. Hope it's a terrible game for Arkansas State, and we'll see you guys later.